The previous program was Economic Update with Professor Richard Wolf, heard Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Stay tuned for Off the Hook, and it's all here at WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. Stay tuned. Good evening, everyone. This is WBAI New York. Stay tuned for a special edition of Off the Hook as we remember our friend Jim. Good evening to everybody. The program is off the hook. This is many of us being over here. Uh, we have Kyle. Yes, I'm here. Uh, in Skype land, we have Rob T. Firefly. Good evening. We have Gila. Hello. And we have Alex. Hello. And uh, as you may have surmised from the um, uh, beginning of the show, um, this is a sad episode because uh, we're mourning the passing of our friend Jim who has been part of the show in one way or another since uh, early 90s. And uh, quite a history, quite a lot to um, to remember. And we're going to be uh, taking a, a bit of a trip down memory lane, playing some clips and and uh, talking about Jim a little bit uh, this hour. And then at 8 o'clock, we'll be over on YouTube for overtime. Um, and it's a chance for you to call in, share your thoughts, your memories and uh, feelings. Um, I guess uh, before we play some of the clips, let's open it up. Anybody want to say anything? Jim passed away on Thursday. Um, He'd been been ill for quite some time, and as as many of you know, he suffered a stroke, um, I guess, 15 years ago. Has been living with that, the debilitating stroke, all that time, but still managing to be a part of our world, even coming to the radio station, and just never detaching. And that, that was just so admirable. Go ahead. Uh, I think uh, this was really part of who Jim was as a, as a person. I think, uh, I think a lot of his identity was, was being 
part of the hacker culture and was was always being present. And and I think it's a real testament to his fortitude and his indomitable spirit that he had persisted in engaging with us in the radio show and being part of the radio show and hanging out during the radio show, after the radio show, coming to dinner, doing all the things that he did while he could barely talk. I mean, he mentioned he had a, a stroke, Emmanuel, but I think, you know, it's worth going into a bit, you know, what that stroke did to him. Well, uh, one thing it didn't do, one thing it didn't do to him was um, um, affect his mind as far as um, um, enthusiasm and um, interest in things, you know, and just basic ways of um, of just being a part of it all, you know, I, I can't imagine the hell it must have been to be trapped in that world where you want to express yourself and you're not able to. Uh, and, and, and so many people have that hell to deal with. So uh, it took a tremendous amount of strength for him to um, just to live his life, you know, with, with, with such such an incredible handicap. And, um, of course, you know, there's there's the gym before the stroke that we all remember as well. And for those of you who don't, uh, who are new to the to the um, radio show, I'd like to share some of that with you. Uh, Kyle, I think you're remembering something right now. I can, I can, Sorry. I can hear his voice just um, when you mentioned the radio show, and I think so many people have, have um, thought of him and how prominent and fun and his distinctive laugh and just enthusiasm and, and joy in the discussion and the glee of just uh, wherever the conversation goes. Yeah, that 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 certain glee in uh, in in mixing it up a bit, you know, in, in in saying the things that someone else wouldn't say, or just getting involved in an argument like we do here on, on the show, and enjoying the process. And, and we sure enjoyed his company. Guess go ahead, Rob. Yeah, um, I. I... I'm very fortunate to consider him one of the oldest friends I made in this community, and I think that's something that a lot of people are saying. I'm, I'm sure it's something that's true of any of us here on this program now, uh, those who've been on the program um, over the years uh, who are no longer, but he, he was just, it seems like he was always there, like uh, like he came with uh, the venue, and he was so welcoming. He was one of the first people that welcomed me into the 2600 meetings when I started going. Um, I've heard that from some other friends of ours as well. And it was just, he was such a warm and encouraging presence just to hang out with, just to be friends with. And, uh, it was, it was a pleasure and an honor. And, uh, it was, it was a joy well, to, to spend time with him. Let's, let's go over some of that history. Um, because, um, it was an interesting history. And it started on uh, April 13th, 19, I'm sorry, um, August 13th, 1994, um, when Jim presented uh, a very controversial talk at the very first Hope Conference. In fact, after Robert Steele had given his keynote, um, Jim was the first speaker. In fact, he wasn't known as Jim. He was known as Red Balaclava because he was trying to hide his identity. It was a very... <laughs> a poor job hiding his identity because he he was about six foot five and 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 very thin and uh, there weren't any other people like that at the conference so when he wasn't presenting his talk it was obvious who it was that had just presented that talk <laughs> but that's just part of the wackiness that Jim uh, that Jim personified um, he he gave um, a, a fascinating uh, discussion on on the uh, newly introduced MetroCard 
to the New York City uh, Transit Authority. And um, at that conference and at the succeeding conference uh, in 1997, Beyond Hope, uh, he was the person um, that basically gave out the information and, and talked about the things that uh, that others did not want to talk about. Certainly others in the MTA did not want to have this uh, revealed. But the first time he came into the station, actually, was on November 7th, 1995, um, no, I'm sorry, I, I had this wrong, <laughs> May 17th, 1995, um, and uh, he's talking about a different, um, a, a different subject here, basically explaining this new concept known as web pages, and um, it's also the only time he gave his real name on the air, and <laughs> you could tell after he did it that he wasn't sure if he should give his real name, but he was just kind of put on the spot at that moment. Let's Let's just... Go back to 1995 and hear that. We have some web designers here, don't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, someone someone come up and tell us what webs are like, what, web, what a web page is like. What can you do with a web page? Try to move the microphone as much as possible to make uh, all the noise you possibly can. All right, go ahead. Okay, what is a web page? Who are you first? Uh, well, uh, my name is Jim Vicent. I'm uh, half-owner and principal of uh, Esoteric Resources Incorporated. We're a uh, computer training, documentation, and web page writing firm here in New York. And, uh, well, for a couple of ex-hackers, but we won't talk about our sordid past. Um, what is a web page? The World Wide Web is a way of graphically accessing information on the Internet. Uh, if you have what's uh, known as a shell account, you have what looks like uh, just a text-based uh method of looking at the information. It looks like those old teletypes you see in your typical old science fiction or World War III movie, uh, except now it's on a screen instead of on an endless scroll of paper. What the World Wide Web does is it puts up on your PC or Mac screen uh, whatever pictures uh, the person who wrote that page wants you to see. Uh, it looks a lot better. Uh, you're able to see whatever they want to put up. And you can also, uh, if you have the right viewer, you can also see little movies, uh, download sound clips, access sound clips off their web page. Uh, there are literally hundreds of thousands of them out there. And uh, it's, uh, it's sort of like what the printing press was in 1500. It's a new technology that gives everyone the power to put up whatever information they want. And, uh, again, that was a clip from 1995 where uh, Jim and his uh, future wife, Pam, came to the studio and um, um, explained some of the uh, technology from, uh, from an insider perspective as someone who was involved in the World Wide Web, which was very exciting back then. Uh, let's fast forward a little bit to 2001, uh, September 25th, 2001, to be specific. Uh, that was, I believe, the first day we were allowed back on the air. It might have been the second, the second week after 9-11 that we were allowed back on. Uh, but it was the first time that um, uh, that Jim was part of the discussion, and uh, this is basically a recounting of his experience uh, on 9/11. Jim, Jim is here too. Hello. How you doing? You were you were you had a close call on the on that Tuesday. Uh yeah, I uh, I did something I seldom do, which is uh, uh, I went banking at a branch that was not where I normally go. I think I've been there well, over the last 15 years like five times. But I had to run a couple of errands in Lower Manhattan, 
And uh, I got off the uh, R train, uh, still the R at that time, at Cortland Street. And the funny thing is, I had heard a noise when we were going through Rector, and I couldn't place it. I figured it was a train on the other track starting, you know, how that sometimes happens. Mm -hmm. And I get out of Cortland Street, just south of the Millennium Hotel. I can't remember what street it is. Uh, the exit I got off was on the uh, across the street. And it's across Church Street from the World Trade Center site. And I get up and uh, I look around. Instead of people walking around, uh, people are pretty much standing still and they're looking up. So, of course, what do you do in that case? You look up. And there's a lot of smoke coming from the top of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And essentially I said, holy, four-letter word. Stopped for a minute. Walked the block north to get a better view. Asked somebody what happened. Of course, you know, sirens are going off and uh, the, the fire and police are streaming in. And somebody says, plane just hit. I said, what? Plane just hit the World Trade Center. I said, holy, four-letter word once again. And... Uh, I remember that Tom Clancy novel, uh, the title of which escapes me, uh, from several years ago, which I read uh, the last few pages over someone's shoulder once. Never read the rest of the book, but uh, in the book, a crazed Japanese pilot uh, puts, a, I believe, a 747 loaded with explosives uh, into the uh, Capitol building during the State of the Union uh, address. So I had read that. And I had uh, I had been working uh, in the area eight years ago uh, for the 93 attack. Uh, I worked nights usually, and I got off in that mor that morning and uh, was still in the neighborhood when that happened. So I remembered that. I remembered that they said that they they wanted to take these buildings down as a sign, you know, against American imperialism and all that sort of stuff. So I put two and two together, and I just headed north. I figured uh, the trains are not going to be running. Maybe not now, but definitely sooner or later I'm going to get on them. I'm going to get a few stops. They're going to stop. So I figured get over the bridge into Brooklyn, because I figured I figured there are going to be ten more planes. Because I figured that what they were doing is they're going to try slicing the towers up, and it would take two, three, four planes per tower to do that. You had this all figured out after one plane. That there were going to be multiple planes, or this was after the second plane? Uh, this was after the first plane, because I, I, I remembered the Tom Clancy thing, and I looked up, and what you saw was a hole in the thing. You didn't mm -hmm. see, like, the thing teetering like, like when you take a chunk out of a tree. Mm -hmm. And I figured, you know, they always wanted to, to take the whole thing down. So I figured, well, one plane isn't going to work. Uh, they, they weren't going, if they're going to try again, they were going to do it. So they weren't going to do it by half measures. I figured they are going to be, a, you know, half a dozen or more planes. I figured... Well, it was close. It was close to a half dozen planes. Overall, yeah. What I'm surprised about was that the subway system made it. So, I mean, you know, you know a lot about the subway system, obviously. Were, <laughs> were any, any trains lost or any, any damage? of? As far as, as, as far as I know, no train uh, was lost. Um, Station-wise, uh, Cortland and Point South on the NNR closed, mostly because of debris above it. Uh... Cortland on the 1 and 9 is uh, closed because of the towers pretty much falling into it. Uh, points south on the 1 and 9 are, are relatively intact. But the subways were evacuated. Uh, yeah, apparently so. There's a, 
Uh, I didn't get on the subway way that day. I hightailed it into Brooklyn and, and got on a bus. At what point did you uh, find out the second tower was hit? Uh, I was uh, on the bridge and uh, saw it. So it happened. Yeah. And uh, that, that speeded me up even more. We're listening to our late friend Jim, part of um, Off the Hook for many, many years, who uh, passed away on uh, Thursday. Um, we're going to move ahead to um, something that's kind of inevitable when um, you annoy uh, a big agency such as the MTA, as Jim did with his Hope Talks and um, um, basically talking on the radio and various other places about the security issues. Uh, they indicted him. And this is how we found out on February 26, 2002. And uh, let's see, that's pretty much uh, all we have time for, except for one last thing from Jim, who has come in with a startling bit of news. Well, Jim, why don't you tell us quickly in the last uh, two minutes of the show, and again, apologies to all the listeners for not being able to take phone calls. We will do that next week and, uh, and uh, catch up, hopefully. Go ahead, Jim. Well, uh, to quickly give you a little history, the second worst kept secret in hacking is the fact that uh, I, Jeopardy Jim, am also Red Balaclava. Uh, and some of you may remember me from uh, Hope and 1994 and Beyond Hope in 1997. Suffice it to say that I've been indicted and arrested. And uh, consequently, uh, I'm going to need some assistance from the hacking community. I'm currently uh, jobless. Uh, I need to find a criminal lawyer, and uh, there's some other things that uh, people, even uh, not in the immediate New York area, could uh, could do that w- would take very little effort on their part and be very useful. Um, Can you tell us what, uh, what they're I'm, charging you with? They're charging me with uh, grand larceny in the fourth degree, uh, as I like to call it for MetroCard funnies. Uh, essentially, uh, I've been a uh, railroad clerk slash station agent for the Transit Authority for some time. I spoke about MetroCards at the Two Hopes, wrote a couple of uh, articles for uh, 2600 Magazine. Uh, some people uh, have noticed that I uh, have not given any concrete uh, advice on how to hack MetroCards, just you know, a general overview. I was very careful to just uh, disseminate what I had picked up from the newspapers, nothing I had picked up in-house. But apparently they're gunning for me because of that. It took them a long time. They never did it directly, but uh, that's the cause. It was 1994. (laughs) Yeah. This is the first time. Hey, they have long memories. Mm -hmm. Uh, And among other things, I want uh, volunteers who are willing to go and listen to old uh, off-the-hooks and make since uh, roughly April or June, May, June of 94. And uh, I have a fairly distinctive voice. And if you can find anything I've said on MetroCards or anything I've said at all and uh, and write it down, uh, this will be organized. I'll be at the, uh, the 2600 meeting this Friday in New York and eventually get a website mailing list going to coordinate this. My trial date is the 22nd of April. Now, that was from uh, 2002. Now, this case uh, followed Jim around for the next year or so. And there was this um, really interesting uh, episode where uh, Jim went to court. It turns out that um, he had missed uh, a court date and had not responded in a timely manner. So he was actually arrested and uh, spent two nights in the tombs. Here, um, we learn about this on the radio for the first time. 
and um, his his remarkable sense of uh, of humor in such a situation, and just um, uh, basically looking for those little things that people who are not hackers would not look for. Talking about history, talking about um, uh, technology, uh, while going through a hellish experience. Uh, this happened on, uh, or this aired on November twentieth, two thousand and two. So were you in, 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 in jail last week while we were in yeah, there? Yeah, wondering yeah. what happened to you. Yeah, wow. uh, yeah, I couldn't make a phone call. I was, I really wanted, I really wanted to make a phone call, uh, collect <laughs> to the station. Actually, uh, I, I had a calling card I memorized and I had a touch some phone. I don't so, think you can use calling cards from, from jail. Uh, well, it, it depends on what sort of phone you are. Uh, in the original holding cell, yes, it's a regular uh, pay phone. Uh-huh. And you can call collect. You can use coins if you have them. And really? you can. Uh, now the tombs are down where in Chinatown. Right? Uh, they're they're right next to the criminal court building. They're, they're the address is actually 125 White Street. Uh-huh. And uh, it's connected via a bridge, uh, nicknamed the Bridge of Sighs, after the uh, the famous thing in Venice in the uh, medieval times, connecting the prison to the Doge's palace. The Doge was the head of Venice, and all his political enemies would go before him, and then he'd just send him over this bridge to the prison. You must have spent hours discussing the history and the, the no. inspirations. Of the no, I, I stayed to myself. I figured that was uh, much safer. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's horrible. Uh, so, two nights that yeah. they kept you there. Uh, any, anything happened that, uh, worthy of note other than being bored to death? Uh, a lot of bored to death. Uh, things, things that a hacker mind would see inside the tombs that perhaps we might appreciate. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was trying to think of that. There's, uh, there's not much. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I, I believe that uh, I have a greater appreciation for anybody who's been in prison or jail or worked their way out of prison or jail, mm-hmm. because I was looking around just for the hacker mind, not intending to escape. I figured I had enough trouble just missing a court appearance and answering trouble I'd be in if I escaped. Uh, just looking to see how feasible that was, and that was pretty damn unlikely. So all these guys who take a spoon and chisel through over six months or two years or whatever, uh-huh. amazing. And this is just for missing the court date. Oh, yeah, well, I guess... For showing up and saying that you missed the court date. Well, no, 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 it was... Uh, not getting back to them in the time that they wanted, obviously, on my lawyer's part. Uh-huh. Uh, like so, I said, it gets worse, of course. Okay. Do you want to talk about the worst part? Oh, sure. Let's only, talk about it. We only have an hour. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they get really quick. Yeah. My lawyer, who is not happy with the fact that I, I haven't paid him aside from the initial uh, amount, is now taking himself off the case. So I'm one step above a public defender, something called an 18B, which is a, a real attorney that donates or is forced to donate, I'm not sure how it works, some time to, uh, technically I'm an indigent defendant, uh-huh. so, uh, so I've, uh, I've gone down in the quality of, uh, of my counsel, and I have... Well, uh, you can't have been too high in that regard anyway, being winding up in jail. <laughs> they, they, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Can't get much worse than that. Uh, that it's is supposed to keep you out of jail. Well, yeah, but on the other hand, uh, like I said, it's my responsibility. If I had just read the damn piece of paper right, I would have made the appearance the day yes, before. But, but you see, when you have a lawyer, they're supposed to also call you and tell you, remind you of things. I, I, I appeared in a deposition last week for the whole DECSS case yet again in front of the DVD Copy Control Association, 
And I was reminded constantly by my lawyer that uh, you have to be here at this time. You we know, have, we have this bus to get there. We have one key difference. You're able to pay your lawyer. Well, actually, that's not entirely true, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get into that. Uh, it, it's, it's, Some other time. It's, well, it's a, it's a special case. A special case. Oh, okay. And... Um, Whereas me, I'm just another peon in the system. That so should speak. not enter into it. Payment should I never be. Yeah, just like with medical care, payment should not. I mean, a lot of things should be, but you and I know that they're different. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. this is this is what I mean when I say that certain things should not be treated as commodities. You know, you should be you should have the right to legal, uh, competent legal uh, representation and to competent medical care, and uh, you know all that. But I'm just going to get off on this, uh, you know. My, my my vision of the world, which you probably disagree with, which is Somewhat. rather ironic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. And that again from uh, November of uh, 2002. Just an example of how Jim was somebody you could just talk about anything with and, and talk about anything with for hours and hours and hours. He made it all so interesting. His um, legal problems came to a culmination February 5th, 2003. Let's, let's listen to what, um, what the conclusion was. Um, has there been any developments with uh, various uh, issues? Oh, oh, yeah. We have, we have uh, as you know, Jim sitting here. He's got some news. Okay, let's hear it, Jim. Well, I've... Uh Joined joined the ranks of the uh, 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 well, I'm now a felon. Let's put it that way. Wow. Yeah. You join the club. Well, uh, I can't talk to you about it, unfortunately. Wait a you can't, you can't, if you're a felon, you can't talk to Bernie S anymore. Oh. All right, Bernie. From now on, direct your comments away from Jim. All right. <laughs> Face the other way, I guess. And Jim, I don't know if you can re respond to things that Bernie says to us. Or if we have to repeat everything for you. Oh, I think I think I can probably respond to things. I don't think we can direct things at each other. That's the thing. Okay. Hmm. Well, then you, you two are no longer speaking. How long? How long on? Uh, how how long will uh, Jim and myself be on uh, non-speaking terms? I wonder. Uh, Jim, I wonder how long this uh, this will last. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, already it's way too long for the show. Uh, well, I get sentenced uh, it, it, towards the end of March. Uh, I've, uh, I'm going to do five years probation, no jail time. Wait, uh, I have a question, though. Uh, are you not a felon until you're sentenced? I've already pled. Yeah, but... Um, oh, that's a good question. Does somebody know, I mean, are you considered a felon after the sentencing date or before then? You know, he's, he's pre-felon. Well, felon to be. <laughs> oh, gee. If you haven't been sentenced, then it, I don't think you're convicted yet. Oh, okay. Then we can talk. Well, uh, we, better, uh, we better get five years worth in. Since, I'm, since I'm a felon to be, I, I, I wonder if I can get a registry someplace like Bloomingdale's. Oh, that's pride to be. Oh, oh boy, that, that was something. You, you know, he just injected humor into every situation. There were so many, so many instances where you know it, he could have been negative, and um, he wasn't. He wasn't. Is that what you guys remember uh, from Jim? Absolutely. He was. He was always. No matter what he was talking about, he always had a, a sparkling sense of humor about it even when it was, like, how miserable things were for him personally, like in this case. And, man, I, I I had so many of those long conversations about anything with him. You could just talk to that guy forever.
Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, and um, uh, Alex, I want to ask you, since you're a lawyer, <laughs> let's let's settle the question that that uh, Jim was raising in that last excerpt. Are you a felon before you're sentenced, or are you a felon at the point that you plead? I, I have been thinking about that. I think that you'd be a felon at the point that you pleaded, because you you admitted to doing the crime at that particular point. You had to allocute, and assuming your plea was knowing and voluntary, you committed. You you essentially just admitted to committing a felony, which would therefore make you a felon. So um, I think, you know, it's, you know, tautologically, in, in a sense, it uh, you would be a felon at the time of pleading. However, I right. can also understand the argument that it would be a conviction type thing. Okay, we're going to we're going to we're going to wind up uh, <laughs> yeah, getting, ahead, getting on a sidetrack here, like we always do. Uh, but, but this show I, is about Jim, so let's let's let's. Just, yeah, I, I do want to say something about Jim too, though, which is um, just listening to these recordings. It's so amazing to hear his voice again. It's really really fantastic. I mean, you mentioned this at the at, at the outset of the episode that. It was 15 years ago that he had a stroke and lost his voice. I was really looking forward to tonight to hearing Jim's voice, and I didn't. Uh, I think I underestimated how good it would feel. Go ahead, Gila. Yes, I didn't know Jim before. I didn't know any of you until six years ago, so I never heard Jim hold forth like this. So having the opportunity to do so tonight is just so amazing, and. If I could say, I'm also enjoying watching all of you listening and watching all of you remembering our friend. And this is this this evening is moving on so many levels. Well, put on your seatbelt because we're about to delve into Jim's conservative leanings, uh, which was no <laughs> no end of entertainment for for many of the listeners, uh, and of course um, uh, fodder for all kinds of spirited discussions. Um, here, uh, it's April 9th, 2003. The second Gulf War had just begun. It's a magical period. <laughs> we, we had some really rousing discussions with differing opinions. And here, Jim explains, uh, well, he defends his position, explains why he takes the views he does. Take a listen. Oh, wait a moment. Wait a moment. As, as an ex-chemistry major, I'll tell you just one thing, which is that you can easily make... Uh, nerve agents out of pesticides. Okay. What, the Iraqis aren't supposed to have pesticides now? No, no, but if they have an outlandish amount of pesticides and no pesticide exporting industry, then you get suspicious. Okay? I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I think it's a doubt. bit of a reach. I mean, you no, know. No, it's we... not a bit of a reach. If you want to hide it, you, you build up your own pesticide industry. Oh, but, but this wasn't a farm. Jim, it wasn't an agricultural area hey, where they tend to use pesticides. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm willing to say it's a maybe. But the point is. I, I look at it this way. I'm a black man who lives in Harlem, and I have seen police officers do what they had, what they wanted to do to get what they needed to get, which was numbers. You know, and, uh, I, and on a larger scale, United States Marines and the people, not the Marines, the, the grunts, so to speak, but they have people who are over them who give them orders to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and they're going to follow just like the police officers in the street. Now, you're going to find, you know, like that article you, 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 uh, you read about the, pe you know, the, they found pesticides, and even that gentleman who's in, as intelligent as he is 
you know, because uh, uh, I don't think he'd be around you if he wasn't, you know. For him to say, well, we can get some pesticides, I'm a, uh, and he, he prefaces it with that he was a chemistry major and that you can make pesticides. But, you know, you found this on a farm, you know, in, a, in an agricultural area, and even he is buying into the propaganda. So that means his Whoa, 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 whoa. That's twice you've, you've accused me of, of, of justifying the administration's position. I want to say the following. You've okay? got 20 seconds. As a hacker, my idea is to be a devil's advocate. Okay, this is a liberal-oriented radio station and show. Therefore, I tend to be conservative. Okay, I'm just offering a the possibility that if they're hiding it, that's the way to do it. Okay, and that's Jim. That who that is who Jim was. Uh, someone who um, who challenged the prevailing opinion, no matter where he was. Let's uh, fast forward over to November 10, 2004, our post-election day show where. Things didn't go so well for the uh, Democrats, and Jim was quite happy about that. Yeah, Jim, you must be very happy, right? Your your guy won. I'm I'm fairly pleased. Uh So what 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 do we have to look at? Everybody, let's turn down all the microphones, (laughs) and we'll just let Jim go uh, go forth for a minute and tell us what's ahead for the next four years. Go ahead. Well, I I, I would be remiss if I don't say that uh, uh, there are still many problems. We we do have one clear improvement in the resignation of John Ashcroft, but he's being replaced by uh, a man that I I have problems with, despite my right-wing leanings. it's not so much uh, what what we have to look forward uh, uh, to. It's it's what we've avoided, which uh, I think was uh, the way I voted. And uh, we still have to be on guard uh, for civil liberties. I I agree with that. You still have forty seconds. <laughs> I well, okay. well, what more do you want? Right, to say? Right, no, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. I, look, I'm that's going to be the last opportunity. No, no, for no all right. Time so you, without so people, let me use you know, forty seconds. Jumping on everything you say. Unlike almost everybody else in this room, and, and a large number of people in the United States on all sides of the spectrum, I believe that that it's not so much uh, the president that controls this country. Okay, uh, it's 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 the the thousand invisible hands of of commerce and markets and people interacting among themselves that that create the direction the country goes. And uh, the president can channel it, but he doesn't lead, direct, or drive it so much. Okay, so if you don't like what you see, there are many things you can do on a grassroots level to to change, or if you like to put it this way, undercut. Uh, what's going on. So don't blame it all on the president it, when it might be your own inaction. But apparently voting isn't one of those things because that sure didn't work, did it? And this is a democracy. You've got to take the losses with the wins, like I did with Bill Clinton. Well, it's not actually a democracy. It's a republic. But uh, yeah, That's true. And I've, I'm usually the one that points that out. Yeah. Okay. Well, right back at you then. <laughs> oh, what fun we had. Uh, it's 2004. Uh, skipping ahead to April 12, 2006. Example of... Uh, Jim's interaction with the audience, who um, certainly took issue with some of his political positions. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, um, earlier uh, Jim used the word disingenuous. There disingenuous, a, yes, I no, know. 
Okay. I realized that as soon as I said it, I decided leave. not to go so back. Why didn't you correct yourself? Yeah, Jim, let's talk about this. Well, <laughs> you, you used the word improperly. I, you pronounced I'm sorry. it improperly. I, I, felt, I felt a great wave of shame wash over me, well, and I decided to just hope that no one who no, knew the word. No, the no, normally, sir, this kind of thing is not tolerated <laughs> here. People are listening. Yes, yeah, millions of people are listening. And the other, and the other gentleman used a, uh, a redundancy, more crazier. Who who is that? Did I say that? You're, no, the other fellow. I okay. don't know his name. I apologize if I said that. You said that? I don't know. Yeah, that did. It's either me or Bernie. Well, we're going to go did. through the transcript after the show. This okay. is some very serious More allegations crazier. here. Crazier. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's be less sillier then. Take another phone call. Uh, good evening. You're on the air. Yes. Um, also, I'd like to mention. You sound very similar to another caller, and that's just that's just too much for me to handle. Good evening. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello. Yes. Hey, all right, Morgan. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with more crazier, by the way. I think that's perfectly fine. Let's, let's not start uh, a big fight about this. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why that thing was even brought up. Anyway, the um, the thing I wanted to ask you was... And good evening. You're on the air. Uh, yeah. How's your Republican guy there? He's, he looks healthy. <laughs> he he looks down with fine. John Bolton and uh, the new Pope, uh, the Grand Inquisitor, and... and uh, well, I'm, I'm Greek Orthodox. I think that the Catholics are just way too liberal You're anyway. Greek Orthodox? Yeah. I didn't know that. My grandfather is a priest. Wow. You, you've kept that quiet. Huh, it's not something that you could usually use to pick up girls. I mean, hey, yeah. my grandfather is a priest. Yeah. Republican. All right. Well, he seems to be fascinated with the fact that you're a Republican, but we're going to move on to something a little bit more uh, controversial than that. Good evening. You're on the air. You know, something else that um, uh, Jim was uh, known for was... Um, uh, his talent in poker, and uh, you know, occasionally he would just um, uh, be a part of these tournaments. Even even after he had a stroke, um, we can talk about that a little bit later on. But here uh, in this excerpt, July twelfth, two thousand and six, um, he explains the difference between poker and gambling. And of course, as always, we have a lively debate. Anyone ever used uh, an online gambling site? In this room? You have, Jim? Yeah. What's it like? You just basically click on something and all your money goes away? Well, okay, I don't gamble. I play poker, which is a little different. Wait, uh, wait, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you play poker, that's not gambling? When you're gambling, all outcomes other than the one that's desirous are more likely. When you play poker, ideally, if definitely when you have a cinch hand, the outcome that you're betting on is the most likely, or at least you believe it to be the most likely. I like the way he talks. <laughs> Talking about things like this, that's... That's okay. I'm going to accept that. So, okay, continue. Uh, yeah, it's it's it, they're very simple. You, in most cases, you download software, but not all. Some are Java-based, and uh, it resembles a a cartoon version uh, in less dimensions of of a, a casino or a poker game or or whatever. You you put money in through PayPal or MasterCard or whatever, and uh, then that's your account. And you say, how much would you like to risk at this poker game at this table at this time? But there's nothing to stop you from basically losing everything you own uh, in this moment. Everything that you have on site, everything mm -hmm. that, you've, that you've put in. You have a bankroll, so to speak. Right, and you can keep putting things into that bankroll, correct? You can also, uh, in the stock market, uh, buy stocks that go down in value, and then after you've lost your money, put more money into your brokerage account and buy another stock that goes down in value. Yes, you can lose money but in But you don't ways. do it instantly. It takes time for the stock market to crash and for you to lose your investment. This, you can just click a button, and all of a sudden, there's 20 grand gone. Wonderful. You can go to Atlantic City. It takes three hours more for all this. Not if happen. you're six years old, you can't. 
And if a six-year-old, six how are you going to get to your credit card? If you, how, do you, how do you have a credit card if you're six? You don't. Your parents do. What are your parents doing letting you have your credit card? They're, they're, look, credit cards left this, on the, on the kitchen is, counter one day, and look what a, happens. This is a case, well, the, the problem is not that it's wrong in that case from Goodlatte's point of view. The problem is it's wrong because the kid should not have a credit card. Oh, I agree with that. But it just seems like, uh, you know, if you're going to gamble, you should go through something to gamble, like, like traveling someplace or, you know, doing something well, this discriminates in against the handicap, then. No, it doesn't. Handicapped people can, can, can go places. Well, if you're in an iron lung, not that I think anybody's If you're in an plays. iron lung, are you really going to be gambling? I mean, I think you have more pressing concerns. Well, never mind. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it, your mind off of it. If, if you're a gambling addict and, and, it's, and, it's causing, and gambling is causing you problems, I don't think traveling somewhere is going to be very much of a, a deterrent. Exactly. Oh, I miss those conversations, <laughs> those debates. All right, sadly, uh, this next clip is our last clip of Jim before his stroke. Um, this uh, show aired on May 9th, 2007, and um, it's particularly interesting because he reveals how he found out about Off the Hook. Uh, you can do it on the Internet, but it's not the same thing when you have a 50,000-watt radio station in the middle of New York City, and you're able to get uh, people from all over just tuning in in their cars. I mean, that's the coolest thing in the world, is getting somebody who has no real interest in the hacker world getting turned on to it because they happened to turn on the radio at the wrong time and get us. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are dialing the radio dial looking for something interesting and find us. In fact, I'm one of those people who accidentally came upon this station. Wait a minute, wait, wait. You mean you're here now because you accidentally turned, here, us, turned us in? I'm here now for a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. So, I mean, basically we would never have met you, Jim, if, if we hadn't been doing a radio show and you hadn't Turned on the radio. Exactly. Okay. The, show, the show that I first heard mm -hmm. was ironically the one before the first hope where you were saying, is anybody from the MTA listening and knows anything about MetroCard? Oh, my goodness. Well, we, we can try to find that moment. I think we've played that. Have we played that? We've played that. Okay. Well, then we can find the moment where we played it uh, again. So that would be <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> that must have been a pretty historic moment right there. Three calls on the line, 202-209-2950. Which, by the way, is still the number that you can call to pledge support to this amazing radio station here at WBAI. Um, our last clip of Jim is when he returned to the radio station um, just over a year after his debilitating stroke, um, only uh, a couple of months after the excerpt you just heard. Um, this is November 12th, 2008. And good evening, the program is Off the Hook. Emmanuel Goldstein here with you on this Wednesday evening. I'm joined this week by Mike. Hi. Down Philadelphia, Bernie S. Greetings from Philadelphia. Looks like Voltaire over there. Okay. Other side of the room we have not Kevin. Hello. Rob T. Firefly. Good evening. And special surprise joining us on the uh, middle part of the room. Jim, welcome back. How you doing? Oh, oh. Better, much yeah. better. You came here on your own, and well, and it's not uh, no, no need for an all points bulletin. He he's in a better place now. He's uh, in, a, in a place where he can actually come and go, thanks to uh, uh, the tireless efforts of, of many people. Bernie, uh, you certainly not the least, and advice from some of our listeners. Uh, Bernie, you want to tell us something about uh, uh, Jim's um, position now, where he can go and stay and things? Oh, well, I understand. Uh, Jim was successfully moved this morning. From uh, the nursing home in, uh, in Brooklyn to a, uh, an adult uh, facility in uh, Brooklyn, Queens. And, uh, Jim, I hear uh, that there's a, 
there's a computer there with uh, it's online. You can. Uh, I don't know, but I don't know. Yeah, that's what I've been told. And uh, here, there's a good library there, and uh, and the most important thing is you have the freedom to come and go. So. And the first thing he did was was come here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so he's got his judgment back. That's uh, that's certainly uh, uh, an important thing. No, congratulations, no, no. congratulations. yes, Thank welcome you. back. So so good to see you again, and uh, you'll come better than ever. Thank you. <sighs> Gonna miss him. Yeah, I I just um, basically met him a couple of years after that, um, and he was in the studio many many times, uh, sitting next to me. Joining in on the conversation, sometimes uh, he'd even nod off a little bit, and I'd, I'd, I'd give him a little poke, or he'd, he'd look over when we were talking and and uh, get back in the conversation and just you know listen. I think he he just wanted to be there with us, listening. And um, it's weird for me be, because all of my previous radio listening to this show um, was stuff that included him and. So I knew him, mm-hmm. like as well as anybody who's listened to the archives of OTH, and and um, it was just really um, kind of cool over the years to help him. He tried so hard. That same joy and enthusiasm um, uh, when he had something to say or he was writing something down, he would use a pen and paper a lot. Um, he would be emphatic about creating understanding and I love that like that's my favorite thing about communications and storytelling and my own um, uh, never-ending diatribes that I won't ever shut up sometimes because it's it's just I want to understand I love human understanding when people connect especially when we're traveling when um, we're meeting other hackers and you know speaking about common things and so forth but he, he would be so emphatic and he would even laugh and have that sense of humor at his own difficulty trying mm-hmm. to get you to understand exactly what he was talking about. So as you'd be learning about something he's telling you, he'd, be, he'd say, right, or you'd say, like, yeah, and, like, exactly. Well, you'd just, feel stupid for not getting it. Yeah. You know? he, and and he, would, he, would, he would write things out, and there'd be, like, a letter missing, and you were supposed to fill in the letters. Is that, that's Jeopardy, right? Is that how Jeopardy works? And, <laughs> and, and you might have heard him being referred to as Jeopardy Jim or referring to himself that way. That's because he appeared on the TV show Jeopardy, uh, Rob, I believe you said it was episode one three three seven, which spells leet, <laughs> which is yeah. pretty pretty amazing. If anybody can get yeah. that, that that copy of the show, we'd love to to, to have it somewhere. I think he was on yeah, two was episodes. On, I never knew two, that. Yeah, he was on two episodes. The second episode was Jeopardy episode one three three seven, which that's, is amazing. Um, I'll forever be pondering the cosmic implications of that uh, coincidence. Wow. Yes, Alex, go ahead. And, and isn't it isn't it true, Rob, that he lost that episode by a mere dollar. By one dollar, yes. Uh, it was uh, it was um, strategic uh, betting on Final Jeopardy on the part of uh, the guy who won. And uh, you know, Jim wouldn't talk about this a lot, but uh, you know, he'd kind of roll his eyes and go, "Yeah, whatever," and shrug. <laughs> <laughs> Both before and after the stroke, that that's how he would. Yeah. <laughs> he would remember those. He would definitely have that that kind of groan or <laughs> reaction sometimes. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, just one thing I want to mention that really strikes me and 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 hit me at the uh, you know I, I think right in the heart was that that just that massively stark contrast between Jim prior to the stroke and Jim after the stroke and that quote uh, that you played of of Jim returning a question with uh, 
you know, a couple syllables of a response. I mean, that, that's what I remember of him for so many years now. That it was such a treat to hear his voice, and I forgot how goddamn smart he was. I really did, because, and, and it makes me think it must have been just so absolutely torturous for him to just only be able to blurt out a couple of syllables for this long, mm-hmm. knowing full well what was going on in his head. It was absolutely incredible. I, I just want to share one completely unrelated anecdote as well. Was that Jim had uh, come back from one of his jaunts at some casino somewhere. I think it was Atlantic City. And I think it was when the station was... I remember us being down at 120 Wall Street. So it was it was during a show. It must have been after one of the shows, probably back in like the early 2000s. But I was asking him about, you know, how did it go and what did he play? And he was telling me he was playing... He played blackjack, I think it was, not poker, all night long for, you know, like 12 hours or something like that. Uh, and so... Uh, I said to him, you know, well, how did you how did you make out? And I never forgot this because I and I always think of it whenever I go into any casino, is that he said it was the the hardest you could work for minimum wage, but you know you won. And I thought that was just so interesting that he he had this persistence. He was down there and he was making money by playing and winning and using his brain against the house. And even though you know he wasn't betting big and. Um, he, he was still there, and it was. He looked at it as almost like a job to me, and that I could see how that would be a really tough way to make, you know, five or six bucks an hour, probably what it was back then. And this conversation, this was pre-stroke or post-stroke? No, this was pre-stroke. Because was after he had a stroke, uh, one time he 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 just ventured out on his own and scared the crap out of everybody because he just disappeared. Nobody knew where he was. He went down to Atlantic City and he was gambling. And he 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 still had that. And uh, he just took it. He just went down there and did that for himself and just came back casually you know, while the rest of us were putting up signs on, 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 uh, on lampposts and things like that. Now, um, we only have a couple of minutes left, but we are going to continue on YouTube on Channel 2600 or click on the link that's on the 2600.com webpage. We'd like to hear uh, your thoughts, your memories, and call us, and we'll talk more about, um, about Jim. We have a couple more clips. But, Rob, uh, you, you wrote a particularly eloquent piece um, uh, about Jim. Uh, can you give the address so people can read this? Yeah, it's right on the front page of the uh, site for our local 2600 meetings, which is nyc2600.net. And there's some great pictures of him from over the years and uh, just a lot of a lot of thoughts and a lot of links. There's a link to the New York Times front page story that he was in. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it was difficult to write, but uh, fulfilling. It's beautiful. Yeah. It is utterly a beautiful remembrance. It absolutely is. And uh, yeah. if if you have pictures of Jim you want to share with us, please email us, oth at 2600.com, or if you have memories that you'd like to share as well. And also, if you'd like to come to the 2600 meeting, which is this Friday um, at the City Group Center on 53rd and Lexington, um, all the info is right there, too, nyc2600.net. A lot of us are going to be sharing our remembrances of Jim. Yeah, the meetings, he went to so many of those with such a part of them, and... Uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really, really hard. I mean, you know, since the stroke, obviously, it was different, but he was still there. He was still around. He was still a presence. And uh, even at this most recent hope, um, he was being thought of. He was supposed to uh, participate in a talk. I don't believe he was able to, but there was um, a, a talk with uh, his, his, um, his, his well-being definitely was the theme. Uh, Alex, closing thoughts? Yeah, I just... <laughs> 
I, and I think this is maybe a good way to, to close out, Jim, but <clears throat> if I recall correctly as a, as a member of the Speaker Selection Committee for HOPE, that the proposed title for Jim's talk at HOPE was, He's Not Dead Yet, Jim, right? <laughs> which, which I think you might have even nixed as being slightly inappropriate or something, but here he was, I think, you know, knowing full well that he was in decline and towards the end of his days, and it just goes right back to what you said earlier about Jim Emanuel, which is that he found a way to to make light of it and to uh, and, and to bring the humor out into the situation. So, but he uh, he never lost who he was. That's for damn sure. And we can all learn incredible lessons from him. All the recordings that we uh, played are available online. Twenty six hundred dot com slash off the hook. It's all there, so much more than what we played tonight. Rest in peace, Jim. We're taking next week off. We'll see you on YouTube at 8 o'clock. Good night, everyone. He was a friend of mine. He was a friend of mine. Every time I think about him now, just can't keep from crying Cause he was a friend of mine of mine.